welcome to the XY Advisor podcast. To join a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. This episode is proudly sponsored by Integrity Life. Just like XY Advisor, Integrity isn't afraid to push for positive change in our industry, especially when it comes to the cost of life insurance. Right now, many Australians are underinsured, but Integrity is working to change all that with sustainable pricing and discounts that last as long as the policy. Next time you need a quote, why not give Integrity a try? Head to integritylife.com.au forward slash XY. G'day, how's it going? What do you know? Striker like Clayton here from XY chatting with Zaria. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Yeah, so uh, the first time financial planning found out about you rather than the other way around was when you uh, sort of did a couple of YouTube videos. This, I guess, is going back a couple of years. Um, did you have an idea that you wanted to get into financial planning when you sort of started out on that original journey? No. So when I started that YouTube channel, I think I was just at the start of my second year of a business degree. Uh, I was majoring in logistics at the time, not quite sure where I wanted to go. Um, But due to the fact that I couldn't get hacks at that point in time, I had to save to pay my own uni fees for the first year. Thankfully, I didn't have to do that for the rest of my degree, but it was a good challenge in terms of learning how to budget, um, reading books, watching YouTube videos, finding out about Dave Ramsey and all those guys. Um, so from that, I got really good with budgeting and I found myself helping friends save money and all that kind of thing. And I thought, oh, what better way to get the message out there than just film it, put it out there and anyone can watch it. So at that time, I did not know about financial planning, but thankfully I did find out down the line and thought, oh, wow, I could actually, you know, make a living just talking to people about their money. How cool is that? (laughs) (laughs) That's actually, um, that's a super interesting story because financial planning is not, in that list of careers. I don't even think a career counselor has ever told anyone ever to become a financial planner. It's kind of, it's one of these careers and you, it's hard to kind of like people it's, there's not enough financial planners out there to sort of hear about it through a friend. And it's, it's always interesting when you hear how someone comes into contact with financial planning um, and through YouTube. I mean, I've never heard that one before. So that's uh, that's super cool. Um, so obviously a few years has passed since that original, um, foray into, into budgeting and, and early sort of financial planning. You've since, uh, completed your degree. You're now working in financial planning. You're doing a professional year. Um, there's a bunch of things here that I find really interesting. So how did you go about finding, uh, I guess a financial planner who was equipped to take on someone to do the professional year? Yeah, so I've been uh, working in financial planning for a couple of years now. I started out by winning a scholarship and getting an internship through that, which led me to permanent employment. Um, And then I was approached by uh, my current employer, Mad About Life, down on the Gold Coast. Um, And they were looking for someone to come in and kind of help run the cash flow arm of the business. And I thought, that sounds super interesting, but here's my side of the deal. I'm going to need you guys to help me get through my professional year. So, um, and thankfully, they were super, super open to that, which was really attractive for me as someone who's looking for the right place to take me on is, 
is if someone is enthusiastic about it. And to Jody, my, um, my, I guess my senior, my boss, she was more than happy to do all of that um, side of things. And it's been a really, really great support. So it was actually a lot easier than I expected. And I think the key to that was coming prepared and understanding how the professional year works and actually communicating that with the employer. Right. So you had a pretty good idea. So you were able to communicate to your potential employer. This is how a professional year works. Yeah, exactly. Because the way I see it, obviously, having worked in financial planning businesses for a couple of years now, I know how busy it is. And I know that something like that is at the very end of the priorities list right now. Um, So for me, I was thinking, well, if I want something from someone, which is their time and investment into me during my professional year, I need to come fully prepared and understanding exactly what I need to do. So read through all the fascia stuff. um, And then I put together a one page professional year plan outlining exactly what needs to happen in each term of the professional year, what I need to do and what I'd need from the employer just to set it out really easily so that when I did go for that job interview, I could just slide that across the table along with my resume and say, look, it's super easy. I've figured it all out already. This is exactly what needs to happen. So let me know if you're keen. And, and it worked. Wow. That is so proactive. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so uh, in a nutshell, because I have about as much clue as anyone else who hasn't seen your one page document, um, what is involved in a professional year? So it's split up into four different quarters um, with varying levels of responsibility as you move through. So first quarter, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, is more basic, just um, client services kind of stuff, um, doing, you know, basic admin work and then increases in time where you start sitting in on client meetings and then towards the end of it, you actually have client meetings on your own unsupervised. So I actually think it's a really great way of, Um, easing yourself into financial planning because I know that when I was at university I'd look at say my friends that were doing finance or accounting and they'd be going into these really cool graduate year programs and I thought oh there's really nothing like that for financial planning and that's insane to me because it's a huge jump to go from being a uni student to telling people what to do with their money so I've actually quite liked the fact that there is a structure there and there's some accountability around your learning so obviously there's a certain amount of hours of training that you have to do um, and I know for me under my licence fee, they'll be getting me um, onto doing Kaplan, CPD points and all that kind of thing. So kind of treating it as if I am an advisor and in terms of the professional standards so that when I do eventually get to that point, it's not going to be a huge shock for me. Awesome. Um, it's kind of interesting your path into advice again, because most people, and it's a very common story, it's, it was my experience. And then most people who uh, get into cash flow, it's actually, it comes at a later stage after the more traditional pieces. And the, and, and the simple reason is for that is because the other pieces, those lump sums of money, whether, whether it's debt or whether it's assets, there's a, 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 a typically a commission, if not a commission, uh, an asset-based fee attached to these. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's always the revenue was always attached to these lump sums. Um, now, uh, at a later stage, when, when sort of as advisors have gotten better at decoupling themselves from product, this whole world of budgeting uh, opened up, a value was attached to it, you could charge for it, you could deliver improvements, there's coaching, which in, then in turn opens up what advice can be dramatically because then you're having real conversations about day-to-day uses of money or even short-term or even medium-term, not all just retirement. Um, or the property or purchase of the property. And so it, the, the conversation becomes more complex and more nuanced very quickly. As soon as you start talking about 
um, cash flow. So it's such an interesting place uh, for your career to largely start at rather at rather than arrive at. So what would you say, considering um, as you're entering into advice, you've been asked to really focus on that cash flow piece early, early on in your career. Um, how do you approach it? What, what are the conversations that you're having? How is it that you're getting, uh, I guess, even bringing clients on? What, like how, how's that engagement process begin? Yeah, so it's very um, uncharted waters for me at the moment. So my prior role, it was working directly under an advisor and doing lots of strategy and getting exposure to SMSFs, investments, a lot of the full scope advice, which was really, really valuable. And it's definitely something I'm looking forward to getting back into. But right now I've been kind of invited into the business to build a business of cash flow within the existing financial planning business. The service was already there. It just wasn't um, utilized to its fullest potential. So I've come into the business now. I've got an existing book of clients that are my, you know, my boss's clients that I'm helping out with their cash flow. And that's definitely something that I was confused about as well at the start. I was thinking, why would people want to pay for cash flow coaching services? And I really didn't think there would be much of a market for it, but there is, and people are willing to pay for it. The behavioral side of it is fascinating. I'm enjoying just talking to clients and how much they're willing to open up. So right now I've got a few people that I'm um, chatting to about their budgets and all that kind of thing. Um, but the clients are really loving that. They're just absolutely loving having someone that can give them a call once a fortnight, once a month and say, hey, how are you going? I can see that you spent a bit much at Kmart this month. What's going on there? <laughs> <laughs> and just having that person to hold them accountable because it's a bit of a taboo thing to talk about with friends. So yeah, we're doing a lot of that. We're doing a lot of building the budget. Um, and we're doing the reporting as well. So they're getting expense reports sent out um, on a monthly basis and getting a good idea of where all their spending is going. And I know that different businesses manage it differently. Obviously, I've come into an existing business, so the existing clients are getting that service. I know there are advisors out there who start out with cash flow for a period of time so that they can really understand the clients, make sure the clients know where their money is going, and then approach the full scope advice. So that's definitely one way to do it as well. But yeah, for anyone who's wanting to get into cash flow coaching, I think it's really great to have that past experience in full scope advice so you can understand, um, you know, their full situation. But yeah, it's, it's been really interesting and clients have been really receptive to it, which has been great. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's awesome that, um, yeah, early in your career that you are coming at advice you're you're almost the um like the first iteration of what advice can be post royal commission right and and i do realize that you you already began before uh, obviously that that had been wrapped up but at the same time um the way that you approach it uh, and what you're exposed to it's such so early in your career is it's i mean it's i feel like it's going to set you up in a much better place. I'm not sure if you list, um, listened to a podcast, a previous podcast that we've done uh, with someone in um, in uh, Victoria, and his name's Taborjan, and he um, he basically uses almost occasionally 12 months as a fact finding mission and journey to fully understand the client before advice is given, and so he's been able to turn that data capture um, process, which is when I was doing advice, this very rude, well, not rudimentary, but it it was get through as quick as possible. And he's converted that into um, a service that provides value 
um, before any advice is ever given. So on the back end, it's actually in terms of knowing your client, he knows his client better than anyone, right? So, um, uh, so in terms of the compliance advice, it's phenomenal. In terms of value-driven advice, it's phenomenal. Cash flow almost sits in a very uh, similar area because if you understand someone's cash flow intricately or intimately, I should say, if you understand someone's cash flow intimately, then your insights into what kind of advice would be good and what kind of advice would be bad for that particular individual is just off the charts compared to if you've just had someone fill out a fact find, um, you know, before coming in, for example. Um, And so uh, in terms of you being an advisor early in your career and handling uh, this cash flow calls, that's kind of an advanced thing. So that's kind of cool that you're um, able to kick off in that so early. Yeah, it's actually been, like I think back now, I was thinking, how did I ever help clients prior to understanding their cash flow? Because you have such a great insight into what they're reasonably willing to put away for investments or willing to save versus how much they're spending. And obviously when a client fills out a, you know, a fact find, it's very idealistic and they're putting down the image that they want you to, to believe. But when you actually get an insight into their spending, you can see their transactions, you can see their money behaviours, you can more accurately tailor the advice to suit what they're looking for. So you said you won a scholarship. What scholarship did you win? Yeah, so it was in my... I think my third year of my degree, um, I, I won a couple during uni, which was really, really... Oh, holla. Uh, I know. It was amazing. I was, I was so happy. The first one was um, a scholarship with Stonehouse, which is the company that I worked for for a couple of years. They, it was a, like a, a financial award with the opportunity for an internship. So I did a two-month internship, two days a week, um, really just scanning papers, filling out Christmas cards, all that basic intern work. Uh, which was actually really valuable. You can always find value in those small jobs because it's exposure that you'd never normally have. Um, And then from there, I was offered a permanent position, which was incredible. And the other scholarship was a Platinum Asset Management Scholarship. Um, And that was just a financial scholarship as well, but both incredible opportunities. And that money allowed me to, I went to the States for FinCon one year. I got to travel to India with our university. So that money went, you know, a really long way into really making the most of my university experience. And it was an incredible four and a half years. Wow. Uh, what year did you go to FinCon? That must have been... Was it 2017? Yeah, I'm going to say 2017. That sounds right. Or even yes. possibly 2018. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Because... Uh, I it did... was in Orlando. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, because uh, I went 2016 uh, with uh, Peter... Diamantidis, and I believe she played a role in getting you to FinCon, right? There was some. Yeah, she did. So I spoke at um, a licensee summit in the Blue Mountains, must have been, yeah, 2018. And I had, ne- had never met Peter before, but um, I was on a panel talking about, I think, like new entrants into advice. And at the end of it, at question time, she stood up and basically offered me her ticket. And she said <laughs> that she thinks that I'd really benefit from it. And I was like, who is this lady just giving me a ticket to America? Um, it was amazing. So, and it was, it was absolutely incredible getting to go to the States and see how they tackle um, financial advice and how they tackle financial media was so incredible. And I'm seeing definitely more of that popping up in Australia now, which is really exciting. Yeah. Uh, Peter, she's one of my favorite people in the whole industry. And uh, she was the first, uh, that, that, that story 
um, was the first time I'd sort of heard about you. And she was like, oh my God, Clayton, where, where have you been? Get onto her YouTube channel. I'm like, ah, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, oh, Peter's an absolute gem. Yeah, she's definitely one of my favorites as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so do you, do you sort of, um, so at the end of this year, do you see your professional year as wrapping up? Is, is, or, or are you still waiting for um, Fazia to bring in information or how does one graduate from the professional <laughs> year? Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting question. I don't know that there should necessarily be a start and end date to a professional year. This is what I've been talking about recently is I'll start my professional year in 12 months. I'll be qualified to be a financial advisor, but who's to say that I'll be ready? Um, you know, three years in the industry, that's still not much, especially coming into the industry at a young age. I'm only 23 at the moment and I feel like I still have a lot of things to learn both professionally and in my personal life that will make me a better advisor. So the way I'm approaching the professional year now is it's something that I really want to do. It's an opportunity for a lot of personal growth. It means that I get those qualifications and throughout that 12 months, I'll get the exam done, I'll get the ethics course done. But I'm not necessarily saying that at the end of that 12 months, I'll be ready to advise my own clients. It's really just a case of when I'm ready. Um, I've never thought it would be something that I'd like to rush. I think that's a mistake a lot of um, university students make is that they just assume that they'll graduate, you know, step into their professional year and be advising straight off the bat. I don't think that's suitable for everyone at all. I think um, for me, there's, there's a lot that I want to learn before I'll be comfortable doing that. Yeah. And, and listening to your entry into financial planning is a real, I guess, weight off my shoulders because it has always been the problem of the entire industry as to how on earth you get people to become financial planners. Because like I went through power planning, right? But even then I sort of had to swap companies so that I would even be considered for something that wasn't power planning mm. because I kind of came from tax accounting then moved across into power planning. And the thing with power planning is if you're good at power planning, people want to keep you in that role as a power planner. And if you're bad at power planning, then people want you out of the company, right? And yeah. so it's this, it's this really, um, it's, it's a tough position because you, a lot of people use power planning to get into financial advice, but it's not a clear stepping stone and it's a completely different skill set, mm -hmm. right? Like at the end of the day, a, a what a power planner does is insanely valuable and mm -hmm. keeps everyone in their job first and foremost, right? Like, because if a power planner does a, a bad job, then, you know, it's non-compliant advice. Yeah. But more than that, the power planner in a lot of ways understands the client better than anyone. So I, like, I love what a power planner does, but it's very, it's very black and white. It's very this, that, and then this. Mm -hmm. um, whereas advice is completely open uh, in how a relationship will evolve and twist and turn. You know, um, you, you deal with clients experiencing every single emotion um, under the sun and it's just not as clear cut as power planning. So becoming a planner has always been difficult. And literally like there was a time where uh, you could just do a, a month long course and then purchase an AMP business, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and then the AMP bank would lend you the money to purchase an AMP business um, and you would have no experience and then you just learn on the job. So that was sort of one way. And then the other way was sort of through this power planning route, but it wasn't great. And then there were academies and accelerators 
which, you know, actually were, were quite valuable, but um, it was always to funnel you into working for a, a, a large organization. And so it's always been the problem of the industry on how on earth you get someone from university into a, into a, a great pathway into a great role and a great career. And it's really awesome to, to see that this is happening in real time for someone. Do you, do you have much to do or have you ever had anything to do with a company formerly known as Grad Mentor, now known as Striver? No, unfortunately not. I think by the time I found out about those guys, I'd already landed a position. Um, but I have been along to one of the events. Alistair did invite me along to help out, as he said, at one of their events. And I ended up being one of the people interviewing the students. So that was a, <laughs> that was a bit of a surprise. He kind of threw me under the bus a bit there. But it was, it was so great because I, I think I was still at uni at the time, but I was in the later stages of my degree. And getting to chat to all the students there, it was so good to see a program like that out there. Yeah. And for students that I know now, I'm always telling them to chat to Alistair because it's such a good idea to have that kind of more structured way of getting into the industry. And I agree with you on the paraplanning side as well. I know that um, I was having a conversation with a paraplanner that I worked with um, once upon a time. And the way I got into the industry, my first role was essentially sitting with clients from day one with the advisor. So there was a lot of um, really great, valuable experience in actually dealing with clients and the emotional side of things and all the soft skills. But I never had that power planning experience where I didn't really get much of that technical experience. So I always thought, you know, although that's been good, I'm at a disadvantage technically. And then I talked to the power planner and they'd be like, no, the way you've done it is actually best because you're, you don't have that, um, those nerves around meeting with clients. You understand the clients. And you can learn the technical stuff as you go. So I really don't think there is a right way to get into the industry. Um, but I know for me, one thing I do wish I had was a little bit more client service experience because now I'm, you know, I'm a, few, a couple of years into my career. And when it comes to basic admin things, I'm like, I need someone <laughs> to help me with that. <laughs> so that stuff, it, it, you know, the classes are easy work, but um, I think that, that stuff's really valuable. So yeah, I think the key for me, though, uh, what made all the difference, no matter what role I was doing, was just having great mentors in the industry. Yeah. Um, my, my old boss was a really, really great mentor to me, both personally and professionally. My boss now, she's um, amazing. She's really coaching me as well. So I think if you've got that person, and, and I know that I've had the whole industry support, whenever I need some, something, I know I can reach out to anyone. It's such a great supportive industry. And if people coming in, into the industry know that and they can lean on other people, no matter what job they're doing, they're going to find value and they're going to find ways to grow. Great way to put it. Um, do you have uh, the next handful of years or do you, do you sort of have an idea of what kind of advice career you want to have? Like if you sort of look out five to 10 years, do you know what that looks like? Um, do you know what kind of advice you want to be giving? Because if you think about the client service stuff, I mean, if, if, if you need help trying to fill out a TAL application, <laughs> you just call Tal and Tal will turn up and, and Tal will teach you how to, how to do it. So, so that's, um, I know what you mean uh, by, uh, it is valuable to know. Um, but you know, that is probably that the, there's a lot of companies incentivized to make sure that you know how to use their that is stuff. True. So, so uh, that's thankfully the easiest um, to get access to. But beyond that, do you, do you sort of have an idea of um, what kind of advisor you want to grow into becoming or, mm -hmm. or, um, do you have an idea of what, what that looks like? Yeah, definitely. So 
it was always a dream of mine. It's actually funny that COVID's kind of kicked my dreams into gears a bit because it was always a dream of mine to be a completely location independent advisor. When I was starting out, I met Adele. Adele was Adele oh, wow. was actually yeah, she was actually my roomie at um, FinCon. So what? hearing That's about awesome. the way she did things, I know how cool. Um, and the way that she did all of her meetings online, I was like, oh, wow, like I'd love to have a job like that. But it seemed like such a pipe dream because at the time that just wasn't really happening in advice. Obviously, COVID comes around and everything's done on Zoom, um, which worked perfectly for me. So starting in this new role, I've kind of been building the processes on how we do the cash flow coaching with the clients. And the way I built it is everything's online unless there's a reason for it to need to be in person, um, which has been amazing. So that's kind of the way I see myself running you know, my advice practice in the future would be completely online based. Um, and in terms of the clients that I'd like to target, definitely um, young professionals in their 20s and 30s, just like myself. I've always found it so much easier to relate to people that are like myself. So um, I'd probably, if we're really niching it down, I'd love to um, target um, young people in their 20s who are just graduating from university and going into their first professional role. Because I know um, for, for a lot of people, if you've grown up with you with not much money or if you've never really had to worry about money before and then you're stepping into a job that's paying you 70 grand a year, what, what do you do with all that money? Like, who do you go to for guidance? You party, Zaria. Exactly. Party. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there's room for that. There's definitely room for that. But um, <laughs> I know a lot of those people just need, you know, a bit of sensible guidance. So Totally. Uh, type of person that I'd like to be targeting in the future. That's awesome. That's, that's a really cool business model. Um, speaking of, uh, you know, remote work, Emily has been known to just go on vacation, right? <laughs> and she doesn't even need to take uh, holiday time, right? She just go, she'll, and she'll be taking calls and, and doing Zoom meetings from the top of a mountain in her snow gear. That's the right? dream. She's like at the top of the mountain. She's like having the meeting. Um, but she has made herself so unbelievably valuable to XY that uh, she can command that kind of, um, that kind of work, work-life balance, right? And mm-hmm. so I think, um, yeah, and COVID truly has uh, made all of this remote working very possible. There, there are huge companies and the company that my wife works for is, is a relatively large company and they made a call last week to... Uh, remain remote wow. even even once COVID is a thing of the past mm-hmm. um, I'm pretty sure the large Silicon Valley companies are adopting a very similar uh, approach as well and so I think that yeah what you want to achieve especially because Adele's done such a great job of it right I'm mm-hmm. not sure if you've followed what she's been doing but um, even Right now, she's uh, doing some amazing stuff, um, like amazing, like to, to the point where um, she, her, her client acquisition method is completely through social media. And yeah. she'll just have a chat with someone on social media and they just on social media and online just become a client. Like, mm-hmm. so, so her client acquisition, there's, there's no like anything. It's just bam, like back and forth. And then they just go on to become a client. It's, it's amazing what she's doing. And a lot of this sort of modern um, client acquisition methodology that every other industry, but financial planning, it seems like has been using for a long time has now really rushed into financial planning. So how are you going to attract recent university um, graduates as a client base? 
Um, well, that's a good question. I think social media obviously is the is the main way that I do that. Um, definitely, I've really been enjoying building up an Instagram and YouTube presence. Um, that's just like a, a personal, you know, a passion of mine. I love talking about everything, um, but more specifically personal finance. And that's actually really helped kind of give me a bit of credibility in terms of um, my peers. So I've had a girl that I've known for a while recently um, jump on board as a cash flow client. I haven't seen her in six years, but um, she's been keeping up with what I've been doing. We've been keeping up with each other's social media and she's been seeing what I've been doing and has jumped on board as a client because of that, which has been really good. Um, definitely LinkedIn as well. I think there's a lot of young um, recent graduates up on LinkedIn or um, maybe in the future I'll do a, another chat about how I've been doing personal finance through TikTok. <laughs> okay, so TikTok, now I'll admit Snapchat, I was just probably too old for when it came out. Um, I, and that would have been a number of years ago. And that, that was, I guess, the first foray into social media that I had no idea about. I'm like, <laughs> I just can't keep up with this one. But TikTok is an, a just another language. It's, mm. it's not even, um, I, I, I signed up once and then I joined and it freaked me out. So then I deleted it within probably half an hour. Yeah. But then I just kept hearing about it. So I downloaded it again and it freaked me out again. And so I deleted it within half an hour. So I've tried yeah. twice now, which means I, I'm definitely never going to succeed at it. But at the same time, I was terrified by all social media um, a handful of years ago until uh, Jenny actually told me what it was. And then I was like, oh, okay, that, that's not too, too terrifying. Um, but with TikTok, it seems like there's a whole... There's, there's a culture to it and there's mm. the, every, everything's like a moving meme kind of thing, I guess. <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know how to be a part of it without being up to date with the most common trend. So like, am I wrong or is that how it works? And if it is how it works, how would you then tie in financial planning? I, I'm just yeah. totally, I'd love <laughs> to hear it because it's a complete mystery to me. Yeah, well, it's the fastest growing social media platform. It's it's just booming every day. And when it first came out, I thought, oh, you know what, that'd be a good idea. Maybe there weren't many people on TikTok talking about personal finance. I think I could only find five at the time. Um, and now it's just, there's quite a few people on there chatting about personal finance. And I thought the same thing. I thought, man, like it must be hard for people to break into the TikTok, um, you know, movement if they're not late teens early 20s but then there are, there are some people on there some real estate agents or financial advisors who are in their 50s and 60s and they're absolutely killing the game on there uh, they might they may look a bit daggy but you know the young people know that these are the experts they know what they're talking about and they're ready to listen um so i think it's a great opportunity and it's, yeah it's, there's so much room for anything on tiktok you know whether it's cooking dancing videos um conspiracy theories personal finance um it just it's so smart in the way terrifyingly so smart in the way that it knows what you like and it shows you exactly what you want to see right. um so it's really easy to kind of gain traction on tiktok um the algorithm algorithms are a lot kinder than that of facebook or instagram where there's usually like paywalls when it comes to that if you want to push your um, message out to more people so it's a lot more organic in that way um, and it's great for my generation who have ridiculously short attention spans because the longest a video can be, I think, is one minute. Um, and, and yeah, that, that speaks 
to me. <laughs> That's okay. Well, see, see, I've just learned a thing or two then. Um, and I am dead set certain that if you are able to crack a code with TikTok, we definitely have to do a follow-up because um, that's, that's sound. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, so with, in terms of you being a financial planner, um, you don't really have a set time frame that you want to complete the professional year. Um, it sounds like you're getting really good experience. Are you, are you in any way involved in helping attract potential, like, is there anything that you're doing maybe with the FPA that helps people find out about financial planning at university? Yeah, definitely. So the uh, FPA have a program called the Emerging Professionals Network, and it's two or three um, young people from each state who are in financial planning or studying financial planning. And we get together once in a while and we talk about what's going on in the industry. Um, we talk about what we've been doing in terms of outreach for young people um, or students that are looking to get into financial planning. So I'm a part of the Queensland team um, and it's really up to the individual to get out there, get into schools, get into different events um, and promote the FPA and promote the financial planning career. So I've found that to be really, really uh, good in terms of challenging me to do more for the industry instead of just, you know, doing my job and, and going to bed. Um, so things that I've been doing, I've been volunteering at different events. I've recently reached out to an old uh, business teacher from grade 11 and I've put it out there that I'd be more than happy to come in and chat to her students about financial planning and what I've achieved. So um, we'll see, how, see what happens there. But yeah, some of the other Emerging Professionals Network le um, leaders have been yeah, going to schools, going into universities and spreading the message. And I think, I think for me, the best success has come from speaking to accounting students because there are so many accounting students. Everyone knows what accounting is. Everyone sees accounting as a very secure career path um, with lots of jobs. And of course that's true, but a lot of them, um, they're really interested in like the personal finance side, which they're not going to be really getting through their accounting degrees. So um, I found my best success is encouraging accounting students to take on a second major doing financial planning, even if they don't go ahead and become a financial planner getting that personal finance understanding and experience. And who knows, they might end up, you know, being a, a financial planner down the line. So, so far I've had a couple of um, success stories with that and we'll keep going. That's outrageous because the joke is um, what's an actuary with a personality. It's an accountant. <laughs> um, so what's an accountant with a personality? It's a financial planner. So that, if you, uh, if you want dorky dad jokes, you can start with that one. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Look, thank you so much for coming on. Um, you've obviously got, a, an, I mean, you've done so much already. Um, so congratulations with everything that you've done. And uh, you're giving, I guess, a really good insight into the future of advice is looking really good. And that kind of message, uh, I mean, I'm always very happy to promote. So thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Cheers. Cheers.